Good morning, church. I've got a question for you today. Are you ready to study God's word today? Amen. Okay. Go ahead and in your Bible, find 2 Kings chapter 6, and we'll get there in just a minute. But first, uh, I want to introduce you to Ochenna, Uchenna, Uchenna. Uchenna. I know you're going to make sure I get that right. And, uh, and so Uchenna is going to help us out today. And uh, he doesn't know exactly what he is up here for, so he is a very good sport. He is very brave, uh, probably much smarter or braver than I am, I should say. And, uh, and what I want to ask, Uchenna, is I want you to stand right up here near the very edge, okay? Just get, we're going to get up really close here, okay? This is a pretty high platform, isn't it? Look, look all the way down there. Now, I want you to imagine for a minute, imagine if I were to push you over, Okay, he's leaning back. And so, Uchenna, if I were to push you off of this platform, and I gave you a choice, which way would you rather fall? Would you rather fall backwards? Would you rather fall sideways? Or would you rather fall to the front? Which would you, if I give you the choice? To the front. You'd rather fall to the front. Why is it that you would rather fall forward? Uh, well, I, I believe I can break my fall because I can see where I'm falling to. You can see. Okay. You, because which way do your feet point? To the front. Forward. Which way do your knees bend? Forward. Forward. Which way do your hands reach? Forward. Forward. And so that's your choice? Sure. All right. Would you, shall we do it? No, no, no. no, no, no Everybody no. give thanks to your channel. I appreciate it, buddy. Thank you so much. I didn't push him over. Are you, are you glad? Uh, we do have first aid out there ready to go in case I had changed my mind. But uh, today, as we talk about failure, all of us can relate to what it means to fall down. Maybe for you, maybe it had to do with someone who hurt you, someone who wounded you and pushed you over. Maybe it had to do with a divorce or the failure in your marriage. Maybe it was the loss of your job. It might be the death of someone you love. It might be failure in school. It might be your own moral failure, that you are continuing to face the consequences for the bad choices that you have made. But there are three truths that we're going to see today, uh, right here at the beginning, before we get into our passage of Scripture. And one is that we all fall down. All of us know what it's like to fail. But John Maxwell says that one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that the, the higher your goal, the greater your potential for failure. The more you risk, the more likely it is you might fall. Babe Ruth is considered to be one of the greatest baseball players in history. And when he had the the home run record. No one before him had ever hit as many home runs as Babe Ruth. But what did he also have? The home run record and also the strikeout record. Because the fact of the matter is, the more you swing the bat, the more likely it is you're going to miss. But it is also true that if you never try, if you never swing the bat, that you will never hit a home run. And so another thing to keep in mind is that 
that means the only way to never fail is to never try. Let's go back. There we go. The only way to never fail is to never try. I remember when our kids uh, were, uh, were just little tiny babies learning how to walk. And it's a painful process sometimes watching a child learn how to walk, isn't it? Because they'll crawl over to the couch and then, then slowly, you know, pull themselves up and, and try to take a step and weeble and wobble and they go tumbling down and sometimes they hurt themselves and sometimes they cry. And as a father, that's hard to watch. I want to, I want to just reach down and pick up my child and hold on to them and keep them safe and put a helmet on their head and wrap them up with duct tape and bubble wrap, although I'm not sure that's allowed. And, 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 and it, it's so difficult to watch and yet the fact is the these, these children, as they fall, you watch and they try again. And then they fall and then they get back up and they try again and again and again. And folks, this is what we need to understand. Let me tell you the greatest tragedy of life. The greatest tragedy, let's put this on the screen, the greatest tragedy, <laughs> there we go, is not falling down. The greatest tragedy is not getting back up. I, I want you to imagine that same child falling down again and again and then deciding, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of trying and failing. I think I'm just going to crawl for the rest of my life. And so they crawl to grade one, <laughs> and they crawl through grade seven, and they crawl through grade 12 across the stage at graduation, and then imagine going to university and crawling into the classroom and the professor looks down and says, why are you on the ground? Why, why don't you get up? And the young adult says, well, you know, when I was one year old, I fell down and I didn't like it. It, it, it hurt my feelings. And, and I decided that it would be better just not to try anymore. But listen, children don't give up, do they? They keep trying. And I wonder if it is because children understand something that sometimes adults forget. And it is this. That falling down is a natural part of learning how to walk. And so the great tragedy of life is not falling down. The great tragedy is staying down. And not choosing to get back up. And we're going to see an amazing story here in 2 Kings chapter 6 that, that I wonder if this story in the life of Elisha might even be one that some have never noticed before. It's an interesting, kind of odd little story in 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. Most would agree now, up until his point, the greatest prophet had been Elijah. And so Elijah took young Elisha under his wing and mentored him. And when Elijah came to the end of his life on this earth, he prayed a blessing over Elisha and asked that God would give him a double portion of blessing, of anointing. And so Elisha began his ministry and and, and had a huge impact, and, and, and teachers and, and preachers and prophets from around the country would 
side would come to learn from Elisha and the school of ministry that, that he started, the seminary for prophets, got bigger and bigger and they ran out of space and eventually it was time to build a new building. And that's where we pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. The company of the prophets said to Elisha, look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to live. And he said, go. Then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? We don't want to go without you, Elisha. I will, Elisha replied. And so he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. And as one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh, my Lord, he cried, it was borrowed. Now, we're going to stop for just a minute here in the story. And we'll stop a couple of different points to pull out, uh, at a couple of points to pull out some principles that we can learn in our lives. And I, I think one of the things that we see here is that we need to admit when we have a problem. You see in this story that uh, one of them was cutting down a tree. So the student of Elisha is doing the work that he feels is honoring to God. He's, he's, he's helping build this, this school, this place of ministry for the kingdom of God. But as he is cutting down this tree, somehow he breaks the axe. The axe head, this iron axe head, breaks off from the handle, goes flying through the air, and lands in the Jordan River and sinks to the bottom. And he calls out and he says, oh no, what am I going to do? I have a problem. An axe would have been an expensive piece of equipment back then. You don't just find iron. It's hard to make. It was a costly process. And here he is, a poor Bible student without any money. And so he admits that this is a problem. And I wonder if sometimes in our lives we might have a tendency to lose our axe head but keep swinging the handle as if there is no problem. How many times, perhaps, do we see people in deep financial failure, deep in debt? I mean, the, the finances have sunk to the bottom of the river, but they're still swinging the axe handle, spending as if there is no problem. How many times do, do maybe we get caught in the bondage of of pornography, or, or addicted to alcohol, or addicted to shopping, or addicted to food, addicted to gambling, addicted to pleasing other people, addicted to, to codependency, addicted to a bad attitude, addicted to whatever it is, that, that we have these problems, these hang-ups, these, these hurts, these issues in our lives, but sometimes we keep walking around thinking that somehow they are going to solve themselves without taking any action. But this guy, he admits he has a problem. He goes to the prophet Elisha. And Elisha does something really, really, really smart. He asks 
an incredibly important question, and it's this. Look at the question. The man of God asked, where? Everybody say where. Where Where did it fall? See, Elisha understood something that we need to understand, that that in order to deal with a problem, many times you have to figure out first, where did it start? And so determine where your problem started. See, that is the beauty of counseling. That's what therapy is all about, right? Is that you sit down and you get asked a lot of questions. It's not necessarily as much about giving you advice many times as it is about asking questions to try to get to the root of the problem. And that's why many times in a counseling session, you'll be asked questions about your childhood. Let's try to go back to where it started. And what you'll find for many of us is whether it had to do with someone else hurting us or whether it began with us believing some lie about about what the world says versus what God says, maybe it has to do with the way that we've ordered and structured our lives and things start to spin out of control. See, sometimes... Where we get into the most trouble is with wrong priorities. There's an amazing story that I want to share with you. It's a story of a lighthouse keeper who worked on a rocky stretch of coastline. He received his new supply of oil once a month to keep the light burning. Not being far from town, he had many visitors who would come from town to the lighthouse. One night, a woman from the village, begged for some oil to keep her family warm. Well, of course, he needed to help her, and so he did. Another time, a father asked for some some oil to use in his lamp. Another came and said, I have this squeaky wheel. Could I have some oil to lubricate the wheel? And all the requests seemed legitimate, And so the lighthouse keeper kept trying, he kept trying to please everybody. He didn't want to say no to his friends, and toward the end of the month, he noticed the supply of oil was very low. Soon, the oil was gone, having having given it to all those who asked, and the light went out. Because the lighthouse was not warning the ships of the rocky coastline. That night, two ships were wrecked and many people died. When the authorities investigated, the lighthouse keeper was so sorry. He felt horrible, but he tried to explain. He said, I was trying to help the woman whose family was cold. I tried to help my friend who needed it for his lamp. And on and on, he told of all the good things he had done. All the people he had helped, but the fact remained, the oil had been given to him for one purpose, to keep the lighthouse burning. Wrong priorities led to the death of many people that night. And I wonder for some of us, is it possible that you are busy doing many good things, but that many of the things that you are doing are distracting you from doing what God is calling you to do. Can I tell you, this is a little, you know, woe is me session for Pastor Joel, is that one of the hardest parts of being a pastor 
is that I often have to say no to people more than I say yes. And I don't like that at all. Because literally, I mean, there is not a week that goes by, sometimes not a day that goes by, that someone does not tell me about an opportunity to do something good. Will you do this? Will you do that? Will we, the church should be doing this, and the church should be doing that, and the list goes on and on and on with good things. But our role in all of our lives, and in whatever your position is, at, at work, at school, in church, in your ministry, in your mission, whatever it is that you are doing, is to figure out, God, not what... Not what are all the good things that I could be doing, because you can do a million different things really poorly, but you can only do a few things really well. God, what do you want me to do? And I find for me, many times when I get off track, when I fall down, it's because I have, have gotten my eyes off of what God wants and been more concerned about what everybody else wants. And that often leads to a wrong attitude. But this guy had a very open heart. He admitted that he had a problem. He admitted that he did not know what to do about it. And once he went and showed Elisha where the problem started, that is when you can apply the power of the cross. Listen to what happens next in the story. Verse 6, when he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there. Now, this is a really strange thing to do. Can, can we acknowledge? Like, you've got an iron axe head that's, that's flown off into the river. It's sunk to the bottom. He comes and asks Elisha for help. And instead of Elisha coming to the place where the problem started and saying, let's get some scuba divers to go down there and, and take care of it. Or let's, let's find a way to raise some funds. We're going we're gonna to do a fundraiser to buy a new axe to replace the one that, that you borrowed and is now broken. Instead, Elisha goes over to a tree and cuts off a branch and takes a stick and throws it in the water. How many of you think this is a good solution? This is, this is absolutely crazy. In, in Spanish, you would say, hasta muy loco, <laughs> loco. Uh, and yet, it is not as crazy as you might think, because in the Bible, there is great symbolism with a stick or with wood. When you find it, it often represents the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Let me give you some examples from the Old Testament. In Exodus, Moses brought the Israelites to a place called Marah, and there they tried to drink from the water that was flowing from a rock, but it was, it was bitter, so bitter that the people could not drink of it. And so God says, Moses, I want you to hit it with a stick. <laughs> and so Moses takes this, this stick, this pole of wood, this staff, and he hits the rock with it, and immediately the water that flows out is fresh and clean and pure to drink. He hit it with a stick. Later on, you have the, the Israelites camped in the wilderness and snakes start to come into the camp and they're biting people and the poison is killing people and they're dying all over the place. And God says, what I want you to do is take a stick. I want you to, to take a pole and put a, a metal serpent 
up on it so that when the people look up to that pole in the shape of the cross and, and when they look at it, they will, they, will be, they will be healed and they will be saved and they will live. Is it possible that the symbolism of the wood is the cross of Jesus Christ? You see it all throughout Scripture. It brings healing and restoration. And what I want to suggest to you today, whatever your problem is, maybe it's time to hit it with the stick. (laughs) Apply the cross of Jesus Christ. See, for some of you here today, the only reason that you are still alive after all that you have been through is because of the cross of Jesus Christ. For some of you, the only reason that your marriage is still alive is because of the power of the cross that brought healing and restoration. For some of you, maybe you need to apply the power of the cross, as we already talked about, with with your finances. And you've tried to do everything the world's way, but maybe it's actually time to check out what the Bible says and try to do things God's way. Maybe it's time to apply the cross to your bondage issues, to your hurts, to your hang-ups. Maybe it's time to apply the cross of Jesus Christ. And so Elisha threw the stick into the water, and look at what happened. Verse 6, Elisha cut a stick, and he threw it there and made the iron float. And so here's the suggestion. Believe and expect a miracle. He threw that piece of wood into the river and the impossible became possible. The axe head began to float. And maybe you look at a story like this and you say, well, that's nice, Joel, but, but I live in the real world and God would never do a miracle like that for me. And maybe you look at these, these heroes in the Bible, people like Abraham, who was called a friend of God, Moses, who saw God face to face, David, who was called the man after God's own heart, Peter, who was the leader of the early church in Jerusalem, Paul, who was called the greatest teaching apostle. And you look at them and you say, I have nothing in common with great heroes of the faith in the Bible like that. But I want to suggest to you today that you maybe have more in common with them than you realize. And here is why. Because every single one of them failed and fell on their face. Abraham had lied. Jacob had been deceitful. Moses had killed an Egyptian. David had committed adultery. Peter had cursed the Lord. Paul killed Christians. They all made a mess of things. Guess what? Starting to sound familiar? And some of them had even done horrible things. And yet... They were turned around by the power of God. Let me give you an example. We just mentioned King David. If you look and compare, compare King David and King Saul. That in the Bible you have King David who was one of the great heroes of the Old Testament. And you have King Saul who was one of the great failures in the Old Testament. David... Both of them had sinned. David had committed adultery and murder. Saul tried to kill David, but failed. 
And God's major grievance against Saul was his pride and his jealousy. So let's compare again. Both of them had sinned. Which do you think is worse? Committing adultery and murder or having pride and jealousy in your heart? I'm guessing not a whole lot of people here today have committed both adultery and murder. But I'm betting all of us can relate to pride and jealousy. So who is worse? I think most of us would say the, the sin of David was worse. And yet, David died in glory and Saul died in disgrace. Why? What was the difference? Listen to this. Here's the key. In the end... In the end, we do not remember them by how much they failed. We remember them by how they got back up. Or who did and who did not. Because Saul held on to his pride and jealousy for the rest of his life. But David submitted and surrendered to God. He sought the forgiveness and restoration that can only come from your, from your heavenly Father. David went back and made things right. He submitted to the love of God in his life. And that is the difference. Listen, it is not our failure that dooms us. It is our response. It's what we do after we fall that matters. And so the axe head is in the bottom of the river. Elisha's student is in trouble. Elisha throws the stick into the water, and here's what happens next. Verse 7, lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. And so here's the suggestion today. Reach out and take hold of what God is offering you. You see, in this story, God provided the miracle, but the man had to reach out and take hold of it. Amen. See, we have a responsibility, and I want to ask you a question today. Are you willing to reach out and take hold of what God is offering you, or would you rather stay in your problems? You see, what we need to understand about miracles is that God does not do miracles for your entertainment. God does not do miracles for your amazement or for your amusement. God does not do miracles to enrich your bank account. God does not do miracles to help you become lazy and comfortable. God does miracles so that you can get back up and get back to work in the ministry and mission of his kingdom. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, when that axe head begins to float, that God, his purpose, I believe, was to help this young student reach out, grab hold of it, and get back to the work of building the ministry and mission of God's kingdom with his servant, Elisha. Amen. And listen, I'm here to tell you today, no matter what you have done, God is not done with you yet. You may be sitting in your failure today, grieving because your hopes and dreams are at the bottom of the river. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Reach out and take hold of the stick. Reach out, 
for the cross of Jesus Christ. Only he can help you get back up and get back right. Because, listen, the greatest tragedy is not falling down. The greatest tragedy is not getting back up. Let's stand. In just a few minutes, we are going to take communion together, which is the ultimate symbol of the cross, Jesus dying to shed his blood, the cup and the bread representing what he has done for us to set us free, to give us a new start, to give us a new beginning. But I wonder if you're here today, and this message has hit very, very close to home. Maybe you have been unwilling to admit your problem, or maybe you have been frustrated in the midst of your situation, but you have not yet reached out to take hold of what God is offering you. What is He offering you? Listen, I don't know what it's going to mean for you personally, but I can tell you this, it's going to be a lot better than where you've been. And so if we would just close our eyes and bow our heads, and I, I want to pray this prayer for you. And just between you and God, you pray. Listen, it's not about anything that I say. It's about your prayer and surrender today to what he has for you. Would you just lift up your heart to him? And say, Father, my hopes and dreams are in the bottom of the river. And I need a miracle today. I need a miracle today. Heavenly Father, for everyone who asks, I know that you hear their prayer right now in this moment. Father, would you give hope to the hopeless? And we declare that we need you. And so we sing this song together as the ushers come forward. And then we're going to pray a blessing over the elements.